This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Okay, um, today I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about um, COVID-19 and what we know about how it's being transmitted uh, and how we've ended up in a global pandemic um, with this particular virus. And so there's been, this is a perfect topic for public confusion because there's been a lot of confusion about how this virus is making its way around our world. So early on in the pandemic, and I think most people will probably remember, we were told that transmission mainly occurs through these really large droplets, um, size, you know, bigger than five microns to some people that won't matter, but, you know, big droplets that we traditionally think about coming from people who cough and sneeze. And the good thing about these droplets, if that's where they are, is that they settle to the ground within one to two meters. So within three to six feet, you know, they'll fall to the ground. And then we have to worry about touching them, touching them or them landing on us in some place that would lead us to be infected. So we were told by the WHO and CDC, the key thing we needed to do was to disinfect surfaces and we had to stay at least one to two meters apart to reduce this transmission. We were also told that masks are not effective. And at the very least, we should save them for healthcare and frontline workers. And the, one of the main things we were told was that if you have a fever or you're coughing or sneezing, you should stay home. And that was enough, supposedly, to limit our, you know, our sort of the transmission of this virus. WHO, just to give you an example, this is March 28th. This is a tweet that they put out, which is, you know, basically flat out stated, this virus is not in the air. And so, you know, this was all over, you know, just disinfect surfaces, pay attention to coughs and sneezes. And this is where we started. So as a scientist who communicates to the public, I can understand the confusion. And I've spent the last, well, six months of my life trying to undo this and get it to, to a better place where we can actually protect ourselves appropriately. And so that's what I will be telling you about today. So this field of respiratory transmission is like over 100 years old. There's medical books written about textbooks in the medical field, all about droplets. Nothing hardly at all about airborne transmission. In fact, we were told we weren't even supposed to mention the word airborne transmission. And so the focus at the time, you know, going into this was that, you know, people cough and sneeze when they're sick and these big droplets, they travel like little mini cannonballs and they immediately fall to the surface. So it was all about surfaces. Aerosol scientists who study aerosols, come, the tiny stuff, come in and say, no, 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 no. In this particular virus, it's not about the coughers and the sneezers. It's about people just speaking or singing, or talking loudly. And when you do that, you produce thousands of aerosols. And so thinking about the behavior of a big droplet versus an aerosol, you can compare little mini cannonballs to aerosols that are like cigarette smoke that fill a room. And I've shown a picture of this. We've all been in a smoky room. Those are aerosols. And that is more in line with how this particular virus is being spread. And so one of the big sort of disconnects between what's what people thought was happening, what the medical field thought was happening and what's really happening 
has to do just with this distinction in terminology of what we define as an aerosol versus a droplet. And so around the time when we kind of came into this story, we basically realized that these aerosols, you know, are being transmitted by people that are largely asymptomatic. And by that, it means they have no symptoms. Most people don't even know they're sick. So 10 to 20% of the people who are walking around, they're not coughing and sneezing, they have no idea they're sick, are leading to 80 to 90% of the infections. That is how this virus has made its way around the world. And we've ended up in this global pandemic. And so we came along as aerosol scientists. We said, you know, you've missed the aerosols. They're invisible, but we've been measuring them actually for decades. Here they are. When you talk, you produce aerosols. They contain the virus. And that is probably most likely what is leading to the spread of this disease. So I stitched it all together. I study aerosols. I run it direct a major NSF center on aerosols. I put it all together and said, okay, if this is how it's getting around, if it's getting around through airborne transmission, then, you know, the key thing is that everybody has to wear masks. And basically the goal there is, you know, it protects you as the wearer, but more importantly, if you don't know you're sick, it blocks what you're sort of spewing out. And so this figure has made its way it's been translated into I don't know how many languages. It's used everywhere to sort of show the public, communicate to the public. We're not just telling you wear masks. We are explaining to you why it is important. And this has had a huge, very positive impact. Going forward, I have done, it's approaching now 500 interviews on aerosols and what it means to be in the air. I've talked on CNN, CBS about, you know, how are we getting infected by this particular virus? And, you know, I've even went so far as to, to brief multiple times um, Dr. Fauci on it's in the air. It is in the air. It is not on surfaces. And if we don't tell the public the truth of what is really happening, then we can't protect the, you know, the public um, appropriately. The bottom line is, as I say, people were really worried. And you talk about why there's a lack of trust. People were worried about this, you know, sort of message. If you say it's airborne, people are going to say, oh, they're going to get scared. I have never had anybody get scared by my message. I've always emphasized once we acknowledge it's in the air, this is a very, very fixable problem. And it also tells the public why they should bother to do the things we're telling them to do. There's a huge trust issue behind just telling people the truth in terms of public health. So we we kept going. There is about, I don't know, 10 of us, I guess, in the world that discontinued to apply pressure to the CDC, the US version of the WHO, to acknowledge it is in the air. And so finally, in July, we wrote a paper, 239 of us signed this paper, this open letter to WHO saying it's time to say it's in the air. New York Times said it's in the air. You know, it is in the air. There is no question that is how this virus is spreading through people around the world. So then we basically decided that it was important, like it had been like we needed to sort of make the point even stronger. We wrote a letter to Nature and this just came out not too long ago. Um, basically, with the title, Airborne Transmission of SARS-CoV-2. 300 words, it's in the air. This is what we have to do. We have to shift our focus from surfaces to the air, and this is why. And so this has received a lot of attention by the public, by public health. And again, we just sort of continue this pressure 
on the public health officials to sort of tell the public like it really is. And within minutes of our letter coming out, the CDC came out with new guidelines that acknowledge that this this virus may be adrift in the air. Um, There's a long story behind this. They had something out saying it was airborne. They pulled it back. They put it back. It's just gone back and forth. Finally, CDC said it's likely airborne, and this is why you should care, and gave new guidance. And this came out, as I say, within minutes of our paper. So the key point, why are we pressing? You know, why, why have we pushed so hard to make you know, this airborne transmission aspect important. And it's because once you acknowledge it's in the air, you can fix it. And this gets back to, you know, if you ignore it, it's not going to go away on its own. That's obviously not happening. So there's many things we can do and there's many things we shouldn't be doing. So if it's aerosols, this, this figure just shows one of the things people have done is they've stuck up plexiglass barriers everywhere, classrooms, grocery stores. This shows the simulation, fluid dynamics. You can do it at a high level. It shows that actually plexiglass doesn't block you from aerosols. The aerosols just flow right around. In fact, they can concentrate on the other side of plexiglass barriers. The better thing to do, instead of focusing on cleaning surfaces, is cleaning the air. And so, you know, through ventilation, better ventilation, through filtration, you know, you can actually, this is, this down here is a inexpensive box filter, you know, just a box fan that you can get. You can strap on a MERV 13, which you can buy at your, local hardware store, 40 bucks, you can actually filter out aerosols that ha- potentially have this virus. Um, the other thing you can recognize is that outdoors is much safer than indoors. The number of cases that have been outside is like in China, they did 7,000 studies and found out that there's one case outdoors. The rest have all been indoors. Looking back, this is not new. A hundred years ago, we had classrooms outside We opened windows in classrooms to protect people. So it is all about, once you acknowledge where it's really coming from, the fix is very, very obvious. So then thinking about the public and how they can take this information and help themselves is, you know, you got to avoid, you know, or limit, least limit your time because it's an integrated exposure. You have to limit the amount of time you spend in places like restaurants and bars, places where people are yelling with no masks and no ventilation. Don't go to those places. That's where all, most all of the major outbreaks are occurring. Face shields alone don't work. The aerosols, again, just flow right around. You can wear a face shield with a mask, and there's reasons to do that. So finally, I'll just say that, you know, there's no perfect metric of how to protect ourselves, but it's a, it's, this is a great analogy that there's sort of this Swiss cheese approach. You know, this virus will seep through every sort of different type of protection intervention But there's only, you know, sort of after you stack them up, that is how we get to full protection against this airborne virus. And the last thing I'll say is coming back to this comment about public communication. When I gave the CBS interview, a eight-year-old listened and then drew this for her mom. And and I would say this is, again, more evidence that there is no fear. There's just clarity in understanding where it comes from. This is an eight-year-old who didn't want to wear a mask After listening to it, she drew this picture and said, I don't really like masks, but I understand. We don't want to share our spitballs. And so that is the level that I've, you know, I think as a communicator of science, when an eight-year-old can translate what you said, this is, you know, sort of the ultimate uh, positive feedback that I've gotten. And so with that, I will stop. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.